the most difficult things we have to do as Christians is figure out how we can best interact with the world in which we live. I was thinking back this week about my childhood. Let's go back, say, 50, 55 years ago. When I was a child and I first went to Sunday school and I started learning about God and I learned things like the Ten Commandments and learning about how God wanted his people to live, it did not seem all that different from the values of our culture, of our society. Even people that weren't Christians seemed to have a sense that the Christian values were the best way to live. And so they were kind of running parallel to each other. What the church was teaching, the standards of our society, they just kind of ran parallel. So there wasn't a lot of conflict there. But somewhere along the line, that began to change. And it seemed like those parallel lines started to diverge and to get farther and farther apart until today we find ourselves in a situation where we have the teachings of God's word and Christian values over here and we have the norms of our society and culture over here and they are miles apart. And that puts us in a situation where we have to discern understand and decide how we're going to live our life. On the one hand, Christ calls us to obedience to his word and to follow the life and teachings of Christ. On the other hand, the world says, try it, you'll like it. <laughs> you know, we got a better way over here. And so... I think that's one of our difficult struggles. How am I going to engage with the world in which I live, with our culture? And it seems to me we have three choices. The first one would be isolation. I'm just going to isolate and insulate myself as a Christian from the world around me. They're all sinners out there. And I'm going to be in here, just me and Jesus. You know, I'm going to have my own... Thing. I'm going to interact as little as possible with the world around me. And there are those who choose that path, and there are churches who choose that path. They basically have what goes on within their walls, and, and the rest of the world's just out there. There's no engagement with, with culture, with community. A second option would be to what I'm calling a cultural Christian. A Christian who decides that, you know, when in Rome, do like the Romans. You got to go along to get along. Have you ever heard that one? So even though I'm a Christian, I'm going to kind of immerse myself and engage myself with the culture and more or less live like everyone else and keep my faith kind of in the background. That's a cultural Christian. And then you have what I'm going to call being a counter-cultural Christian. 
And I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I'm not going to say much about the first option because I think we all have a sense that isolation is not what Christ calls us to do. And the reason I say that is because one of the last things he said on this planet <laughs> is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Did you catch that first word? Go. He didn't say sit back, hunker down, if the world wants to come to you, okay, we welcome them, but we're not going to make any effort to go out there. So I don't think we have that option, or at least Christ does not give us that option to just isolate ourselves from the world. We have to engage our culture. We have to interact with the world in which we live in order to fulfill Christ's mission. So we're just going to drop that one. Number two, being a cultural Christian. Uh, here's how I define that. A cultural Christian is a person who at some point in their life accepted Christ as their Savior. I believe in Jesus. But they never grow beyond that point. It's like it's a done deal. I received Christ, I've got my salvation, that's taken care of. I don't know what you do with insurance policies, you know, I've got this little fireproof box thing that if my house burns down, this box is still going to be sitting there. You put important things like your Tiger Woods rookie card that someday, maybe, if he gets back on track, may be worth like a million dollars. Passports. And insurance policies. And, and a countercultural Christian will say, I've got it. I'm going to put it back. I'm going to set it over here, and that's taken care of. Now I can just go live like everybody else. Really, the, the term, even as I wrote it, I thought, that, that doesn't sound right. A cultural Christian. It's kind of an oxymoron. You know, you put two things together that don't go together. If you're living for the culture, you're not living for Christ. If you're living for Christ, you're not living there. So being a cultural Christian is kind of an oxymoron. But I'm going to use it just to help me uh, define my terms here. Uh, it's people who allow the influences of culture to dictate their life to the point that there's very little difference between their life and the life of those who don't believe in Jesus. I like what Pastor Greg Kroschel said. He wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. And just the title grabbed me. I said, I got to read this book because I don't get how you can be a Christian and an atheist. You talk about an oxymoron. And he defines a Christian atheist much the same way I've defined a cultural Christian. It's one who professes to believe in Jesus but lives as if he doesn't. Another way to think of it would be a chameleon. Christian. You know what chameleons? They're these little lizard things that if they're on a green leaf, they turn green. If they're on a brown log, they turn brown. They get to blend in, fit in with their environment because that's the most secure way to do it. 
And there are people who try to live their lives as a Christian in this world that way. I'm a Christian, but when I'm around those who aren't, it's okay to talk like they talk. It's okay to do the things they do because that's how we get along. It's like the story of a young man he, he's from a small church in the Northwest, and he'd only been a Christian for less than a year. And he decided he was going to go live and work in a logging camp. Now, these camps were notorious for the rough lifestyle that the men lived there. And the pastor knew this is going to be a very difficult environment for a new Christian. So he expressed that concern, and the young man said, you know, I, I, I know how to handle this. I'm going to be okay. And so he went. And a month later, the pastor writes to him and says, how are you doing? And he writes back, I'm doing great. I've been here a whole month, and no one even knows I'm a Christian yet. It's funny, but it's not, is it? That's a chameleon, Christian. That's a Christian atheist. That's a cultural Christian. I believe in Christ in here, but out here, I don't have to reflect that in any way. Hearing that story kind of made me ask myself some questions. When I enter into a new relationship with somebody... Not just someone I first meet, but someone that I, I'm going to have further uh, relationship with. How long does it take before they know I'm a Christian? Now, I realize I'm a pastor, so it probably happens a little quicker. But ask yourself that question. When I, when I enter into a new relationship with somebody, how long does it take before they figure out I'm a Christian? Uh, do, is my faith reflected in my words and my actions? Um, you know, I'm not saying that the moment you meet somebody, you go, hi, I'm Roger, and just so you know, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm not talking about <laughs> just being in their face about it. But it shouldn't take very long after you meet somebody and you begin to inter interact with somebody, to talk with them, that they figure out you're a Christian. Because we're reflecting it on our attitude, in our words, in our deeds. And as the opportunity presents itself in an appropriate way, we share our faith with them. In other words, it means we decide to be counter-cultural. Let's get to the third option. To counter something means to stand against and provide an alternative to. Last time I bought a house, I don't know if it still works this way, but last time I bought a house... They're, the owner lists it with a certain price that they want. And I made an offer that was lower than the listed price. That's what my dad taught me to do. Never pay list price for anything. Unless you're in Walmart, you don't have much choice. But, you know, this is the price. 
This is what I'm willing to give you. What do they do? Counter offer. They'll come back with something usually in between. Or say you're playing a game like chess or checkers. Your opponent makes a move and you counter with a move that puts you in a better position to win. So when we say we're countercultural in our Christian life, it means that we are willing when, when necessary to take a stand against our culture, to live counter to the values and the standards of our culture, but at the same time providing an alternative way of life. My, my goal in being countercultural is not just to stand over here and say, I'm right, you're wrong. It's to say, God, the God who created us, has a better way for us to live in this world. And I would love to talk to you about that and show you how. thing we have to realize is that being countercultural can be hard. Ask any Christian teenager if it's hard to be countercultural, to take a stand for Christ in a, in a culture that's immersed in other things, other values. And it can require some sacrifices. But Jesus told us that. One thing I appreciate about Jesus, he was very upfront. There was no false advertising in his um, call to people to come follow me. He didn't promise them all kinds of things that weren't true. He didn't try to present it as this is going to be simple and easy. In fact, he said, the way is broad and easy that leads to destruction, but the way is narrow and hard that leads to life, and very few are going to find it. He let them know up front, you follow me, you're choosing the harder path. You're choosing a path that will require some degree of sacrifice and suffering on your part, because you are going to have to be counter-cultural. You're going to have to stand against what this world often stands for. God's word is very explicit about the need to be countercultural. And this is actually a two part message, so you have to come back next Sunday. Okay? Every one of you. You have to be back next Sunday and bring someone back who hasn't been here that missed this one. Okay. Because I want to look at the Old Testament this week, some countercultural teaching in the Old Testament, and then next week I want to look at the teachings of Paul in the New Testament. And I think this is important because as Christians, we often kind of denigrate the Old Testament. We kind of, you know, we don't really, we're New Covenant people, which we are. We're New Testament people, which we are. So we don't really need that first two-thirds of the Bible. <laughs> you know, let's just kind of set that aside, not worry about it. I, I've had preachers tell me I don't preach Old Testament because we're New Testament people. Yeah, but that's like saying because I'm a 21st century American, I don't need to worry about history. I don't need to know a thing about our history because I'm a 21st century guy. You know, we can see that that's not right. If you really want to understand the New Testament... 
If you really want to understand the life and teachings of Jesus, you got to know what's back here. Think of it like reading a novel. I just started a novel that's about 900 pages long. It's a Tom Clancy novel. Anybody like Tom Clancy? Hey, see, I got, I got some. I got some. I love Tom Clancy now. Even though he's dead now, he, novels keep coming out in his name. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Talk about ghostwriting. <laughs> I mean, I'm, boom, I, I walk by the shelf, a new novel by Tom Clancy, and I'm like, how in the world? And then, and Mark Greeny. Oh, okay, there's another. Okay, he's taking his material. Oh, so I see how that works. But suppose I looked at that and go, man, I don't want to read 900 pages. I don't have time for that. that that'll take forever. I think I'll start at about page 600. <laughs> Just read the last 300 pages. Is that going to work? If you've ever read a Tom Clancy novel, you'd know it would not. They're, they're very in-depth with plots and with characters and interactions of people. And if you started at page 600, you would not have a clue what is going on in that book. You know, the same is kind of true here. If you say, I'm going to skip the first 39 books and I'm just going to start with Matthew, you're not going to get the depth of God's Word. So this morning, I want to look at being countercultural in the Old Testament, and I want to do it with a familiar scripture, which is the Ten Commandments. You've all probably learned the Ten Commandments at one time or another, or at least used to know the Ten Commandments. I, I learned the Ten Commandments because it got me a sugar cookie. There's no greater incentive to learn God's Word than food. You know, when you're a kid, if you come in and tell me the memory verse, you get a cookie. You get ice cream. You get candy. <laughs> I almost memorized the whole thing at one point just because <laughs> somehow I forgot it all, though. I don't know. But the Ten Commandments, I want you to think about them in terms of being countercultural because today they really are. First one says, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make of yourself or make for yourself any idol. That simply says, put God first. There should be nothing else in your life that takes the number one spot. And I used to think, well, we don't worship idols. You know, I don't have a carved stone or a piece of a totem or something in my a statue in my house that I walk by and go, oh, thank you. You know, I don't, I don't worship idols. But yet idols come in all forms, don't they? Anything that takes the number one spot becomes your idol. And in our culture, there's a whole lot of things that have taken number one. Number two, number three, and number four. God has really gotten shoved down the list, hasn't he? And so being countercultural means I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put the things of God first in my life above everything else. Number three, you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Is it even possible today to turn on your television or watch a movie and not hear the Lord's name taken in vain? It gets so tiresome. 
to turn on a show, you know, you, you see the preview or something, and you think, oh, that looks like it's going to be a really good show. And you're watching it, and it's just one profanity after another. Unnecessarily. I have yet to watch the movie that I said, you know what made that movie great? Profanity. I mean, they cussed up a storm in that thing. That was great. Now, I mean, it's never. I usually come out the other way. You know, that movie would have been a really good movie had they not laced it with all this profanity, much of which disrespects and dishonors the name of God. Why is that important? Your name is the most basic part of your identity. And when you disrespect and dishonor someone's name, that's just wrong. Wouldn't we consider that wrong? Our culture would consider that wrong. If I was dishonoring and disrespecting your name, they'd say that's wrong. You shouldn't treat people that way. Well, don't you think God and his son Jesus deserve the same consideration? Our culture doesn't think so. But we do as people of God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. There again, when I was a kid, the culture observed the Sabbath day. The businesses closed. There wasn't much of anything you could do on a Sunday except go to church. All the churches were open. My, how things have changed. It's no longer the Lord's day in the eyes of the world. It's actually me day. You know what I hear so often from people? When they find out I'm a pastor, I don't ask them if they go to church, but they just suddenly feel guilty because they don't go to church. And they're talking to a pastor. And so they'll immediately try to tell me the reason they don't go to church. And it usually goes something like this. They go, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with church. But I don't go because I work five days a week, Monday through Friday. Saturday, I got to mow the lawn and take care of stuff at home. Sunday is the only day I have for me to do what I want. problem is it's not your day <laughs> it's already been claimed by someone or we fill our Sundays with so much activity that take us away from the Lord distract from our relationship with him being countercultural means reclaiming that I know I'm speaking to the choir because it's Sunday and you're sitting in church it's okay I understand that but in case you have these conversations with others, it might help you. And then I'm going to put the next six all together. And I'm going to summarize them this way. You should honor your father and mother. You should uphold the sanctity of human life. You should honor your marriage vows. You should respect other people's property. You should live with honor and integrity. And you should be content with what you have. That in a nutshell is what the whole last six of the Ten Commandments say. They used to be values that our culture upheld for the most part. Not anymore.
because we have elevated one thing above all else in terms of our values in our world today, and that is happiness. If it makes me happy, it's right. If it doesn't make me happy, it's wrong. My personal happiness is the most important thing to me. And that means God gets kicked to the curb most of the time. Wouldn't our world be a better place? Wouldn't so many of the troubles and conflicts we deal with vanish if people actually lived by those six values? But we often see kids disrespecting and disobeying their parents and parents letting them get away with it. So is it any wonder that when they grow up, they disobey and disrespect their Heavenly Father? The intrinsic value of human life is violated every time a baby is aborted. Or every time somebody decides that life is so cheap I can pick up a gun and walk into a school or a shopping mall and I can just kill anybody I want. Life is cheap anymore. And God says, no, it's not. Because I made it and I value it. Because we've elevated happiness above other things, that means I really don't have to worry about my marriage vows. If I'm not happy, it's okay to seek out others elsewhere. People take what is not theirs. They lie whenever it's to their advantage. They seek after other things that others have rather than being content. Our world has lost its way. And as followers of Christ, we are challenged to be countercultural, to say these values are important, and these are the values by which I will live, and if everyone else in the world goes that way and says we won't do that, we still stand here and say, but I will. Remember, it's a hard way, and it's a way that requires sacrifice. The challenge of Joshua is still true today. The people of Israel reached the borders of the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and that had been a roller coaster ride during those 40 years. Belief, unbelief, obedience, disobedience. <laughs> and finally, they're standing on the edge. They're looking across the Jordan River into the land that God has given them to possess, and they said, let's go get it. And Joshua said, wait, wait a minute. Before you go, there's something you have to do. That land over there, those people, they don't honor our God. They don't live according to the values of God or the word of God, the commands of God. They are a very different people. And so before you go, you have to make a choice. And here's his famous words. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he was asking each and every man, woman, and child standing before him on the Jordan, on the bank of the Jordan River to answer that question. Because how they answered that question would largely determine what was going to happen when they got to the other side. Whether they would live in obedience to God and faithfulness to God, 
whether they would honor God or whether they would become cultural, whether they would go along to get along. They'd be like chameleons changing their colors in order to live with the peoples who were over there. And an important part of that statement was choose you this day. He wasn't asking, what did you choose last week? What you going to choose tomorrow? Today. Where do you stand today? And it's a choice you have to make every day. You don't make it once. You can't sit here and say, well, I'm going to serve the Lord. Because tomorrow you're going to be faced with a temptation that's going to pull you away. And you go, well, now today I'm not so sure. You know, every morning, look yourself in the mirror and say, who are you going to serve this day? And I pray that you will answer, I'm going to serve the Lord. Let us pray. God, I am so grateful for the teachings of your word that tell us how important it is that we be countercultural. It is hard. It's so much easier to live life by just getting along with everyone and going along with everyone and doing what's popular and doing what the majority think is right. But Lord, we know as Christians we cannot and must not live that way. You called us to a higher road, a higher standard of life. And the world is counting on us. They don't know it, and they don't think they want it. But the world needs us. It needs faithful Christians. It needs countercultural Christians who will stand up for what is right, who will uphold the truth of God's Word in their lives. Rather than being influenced by culture, you call us to be the influencers of culture, to call them back to your way. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, I get asked sometimes by people, well, can't you be good without Jesus? I mean, I know some really good, caring, generous people, and they don't believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. Because it's like that roller coaster ride that Israel was on. Sometimes we're caring, good, and generous on our own, but then many times we are not. It takes Christ with me, Christ in me, Christ's Spirit guiding me in order to live the way He wants me to live day in and day out. So if you're here this morning and don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to stand together, we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to ask you to come and let me receive you, pray with you, lead you in a simple confession of faith. It's simple to say, but it will take the rest of your life to figure out how to live it. We'll arrange for your baptism, and you too can walk the path of being a countercultural Christian. Let's stand together. Hymn number 408, verses 1 and 3.